Dog Works Radio is sponsored by Alaska Dog Works. Check out their website at alaskadogworks.com. You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and you're listening to Mushing Radio and I am joined by my co-host, Tony. How's it going this evening? Going pretty well. The uh, the leaves have all fallen and there's ice on the pond in my backyard. So I think we're getting that much closer to snow and winter. We are getting closer. The, uh, the mud is freezing up here in South Central. We have not gotten... <laughs> any measurable snow we've got a little bit of a dusting but that's a big shift in the way people do uh, fall training of course a lot of folks are still running on atvs and that sort of thing but we will see many more pictures and videos in the coming weeks of probably not sleds yet at least down here in south central but you'll see more people hooking their dogs up to snow machines and using chains on their ATVs and all that sort of stuff. So winter is upon us, isn't it? It is. It's getting there. And um, I know most people in, in South Central aren't ready. They're holding out hope that fall is sticking around. But I, I think it's I think it's over, guys. <laughs> I think so, too. And another tradition that Alaskans typically embrace is they travel before winter. And I know I just got back from a pretty extended trip over the last couple of weeks and you're heading down to sunnier climbs tomorrow. Where are you heading and what are you doing? Uh, meeting up with my best friend and we're going to uh, visit all of the touristy spots in San Diego. So I'm kind of excited though. I'm not excited about going from 30 degree weather all the way to 85 degree weather because this a little Alaska girl doesn't acclimate well. You know, I was at a music festival in <laughs> Sacramento and it was well above 90 there. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess that was last weekend or the weekend before. And I came and I went down in shorts, wore shorts every day. And I came back <laughs> to 20 degrees. It was, it was yeah. nice to be back and away from the heat, but it's always good to get down and uh, get a little bit of sun before the winter. Isn't that right? It is, yeah. Get that last little bit of vitamin D before we go into complete darkness. There you go. So we talked about uh, fall training is is in the air for a lot of kennels. I would say almost all of the Iditarod kennels have started already. They typically start sometime in August or September. And of course, uh, the weather is highly dependent on that. But I've seen, even up in Kotzebue, I have friends up there Uh, on Facebook, and they have a little bit more snow than us. What are you seeing on social media aside from the the dog butts on the ATVs? (laughs) Um, I'm seeing a lot of snow reports from up in the northern part of the interior, Um, seeing a lot of uh, talk of preparation for the coming season. Um, Speaking of, you know, Western Alaska, we've seen uh, the Cusco 300. They're still 
adding to their roster for their race this year. It's looking pretty good. Um, other races, of course, have also been adding as they get more names, but uh, it's been actually pretty quiet. I think fans have been talking a little bit more than the mushers have. They have. And before we jump into talking about some of the races and who's signing up where, we have a quick update on Jesse Holmes. On our last episode, it was just a couple of days after his accident when he was volunteering up uh, there on the western side of Alaska with um, with a group of Iditarod guys for uh, the typhoon that happened up there. And I saw on social media he is back home. He lives off-grid, off the Denali Highway, so pretty far away from a lot of things. But it looks like he's back and he's in pretty good spirits. Anything else to report? You know, I haven't seen a whole lot from him, but it's been a pretty hectic uh, last couple of weeks for me, so I haven't been able to be quite the stalker that I normally am. But, um, yeah, it's it's a really good update, and I think – um, you know, seeing the little bit from his kennel uh, Instagram, it looks like the dogs are at least getting run, I'm sure, with uh, whoever is helping him take care of the kennel this year. Um, so I think they're on track to hopefully, if he recovers well, um, hit up all of those races that he signed up uh, for in the last couple of weeks. So he was up there in uh, Western Alaska with a friend of his, Brent Sass, who we all know won Iditarod this past winter. And I was on his site right before we went on air, just checking out news. And I got a, a quick glance at his Iditarod championship hoodie. And I have to give some props to that. I think it's, it's such a cool design. I know you haven't seen it yet, but if you're friends of, fans of Brent Sass, I encourage you to go over to Wild and Free. I think it's wildandfreemushing.com. If not, you can obviously search it. He's very good at SEO. And check out his, uh, his Iditarod Championship hoodie. The reason I say that is on the back, it's sort of concert style, concert uh, shirt style and has all of the names of all of the dogs that ran Iditarod. And I thought that was a a very cool way to honor those dogs that ran with them. And of course, the race is all about the dogs and we don't give them as much credit, at least in terms of stories. But I know that that's changing a little bit, especially now that you're co-hosting. If you recall, Tony, one of our favorite features this year was, I think it was our Uh, Next to the last episode, maybe it was the last episode when we did an episode all about the dogs. Do you remember that? I do. I remember being put on the spot, but um, because it was just one of those things that after two weeks of Iditarod, it all just started to blur together. But um, yeah, no, the dogs, I mean, that's why we watch, right? As much as we love the personalities of most of the mushers, um, it's the dogs and the stories that they um, they share with us about the dogs and their bond with the dogs that keep us coming back to Iditarod and, and really the sport in general. And uh, so it's, it's always nice to see. I like that we're seeing more mushers do that. Um, I believe Susan Butcher used to do merchandise where she listed all of her dogs on that many moons ago. Um, and I know Dallas Seavey has done that. So to see it continue with other champions um, and really put the focus back on the dogs 
Um, I think that's a really great marketing strategy, not only for the individual teams, but for the the race and and mushing sport, the sport uh, in itself. Because again, it's all about the dogs. You don't have sled dog races without sled dogs. Right, right. So I am going to put you on the spot just a little bit with that. If you <laughs> if you had your druthers, if you were in charge of all things mushing media. How would you tell those stories? Because in Iditarod, there could be upwards of a thousand dogs on the trail. Of course, every one of them have individual stories. Some of them are very much more, I don't want to say significant, but um, more of a, of a story than others. Of course, lead dogs always have the grandest of stories. And of course, there's always one or two that's sort of the clown of the kennel, et cetera. So if you had your druthers and had to... Figure out, figure out a way to really focus on the dogs in the media. How would you do it? Um, when I was working for a certain kennel, which we all know which one I'm talking about, but um, that was one of the things that we did that wasn't super popular at the time, but it is definitely becoming more popular with the kennels. Um, when we got down to close to Iditarod time and it was time to reveal the um, A team or the teams running out of the kennel, we took uh, individual portraits of each dog and then the musher came up with a brief um, bio of each dog, um, any of their quirks, their habits, the best part about the dog as far as the musher was concerned. Um, that all went on to Facebook um, and fans of course just ate it up and they actually were used um, almost as kind of like um, how you put together like when you're at a football game or um, at you know like a figure skating event because that's the only other sport I really follow um, where they have a media book and you get a little bio on each athlete it kind of worked that way um, and kind of still does I think uh, Anchorage Daily News kind of gleans from that and then they share those um, for some of their stories. Haven't seen that in the last couple of years with the ADN, but um, it's definitely something that I think a lot of fans look forward to. Um, Ali Zirkel always did a big write-up with professional portraits of the dogs. Um, the Dieters, they do um, really cool little trading cards of each of the dogs. So it's it's still a thing, and I think that's a great thing uh, for um, getting those stories out there. And then Jeff Schultz, of course, with his Faces of Iditarod, that's another one where there he actually has audio of the interview with the musher talking about the dogs that they've chosen for the project. Um, and then I believe it was this year, Liz Failer, um, she interviewed of course towards the back of the pack and um, I believe she interviewed a couple of the dogs there at the dog drops in the uh, the checkpoints which was also very cute um, and very fun and I think that's something that the general audience really enjoys it might seem cheesy it might seem like uh, you know it's dead air space that they're trying to fill but it, I mean, you've got a cute, fluffy little dog who just ran 800 miles and is now napping under this super cute fleece blanket, and you're just making up stuff as you go along, um, maybe sharing a story that you've been told by the vet or the, the musher themselves. 
Um, and I think that's just another way to kind of bring um, those dog lovers in full circle and, and really understand that, you know, these dogs are not a commodity that, you know, we just use and throw away. These are dogs that we know their personalities. We know their strengths, their weaknesses, their likes, their dislikes. Let's share that. Mushers, you, you guys know your dogs better than anyone. Take the time to, to introduce them to us. And I think a lot of mushers have started embracing that. You are so right. And if I could add a little bit to that, uh, one of the, we do something very similar here at our kennel. And we aren't doing a lot of races. We do a lot of expeditions. And I also teach a class at uh, the University of Alaska Anchorage, at least we did before COVID, where we take students out on multi-day expeditions. And one of the things I did on my Facebook page was list all of the dogs in a very quick story about those dogs on our Facebook page, mainly for the students so they could get so they could remember those dogs. And and as you're talking about this, uh, Tony, it brought up a story from just a couple of weeks ago. A friend of mine uh, went to the Matanuska Glacier here in Alaska with one of the guys that went on that expedition many years ago when he was a student at UAA. Now he's a guide at Matanuska Glacier. And, you know, he does this for a living now as, as an outdoor guide. And I said, hey, do you remember our trip from, I think this was in 2017, 2016. And he said, yeah, I remember Sydney. And Sydney was one of the dogs on the team at that time. She's unfortunately passed away now. But she remembered. He remembered the story that we told. He remembered her from from the trip, and that that's what makes it so special. Is not only fans, but of course participants like my students and folks that come out for visits or tours or whatever. You know, mushers are a dime a dozen. We all have sort of the same story. You know, we're here because we love dogs, and you know, we're chasing dreams and doing all this or doing all that. It's very similar story. But those dogs uh, and their stories are truly what makes the sport what it is. And I wish there could be more of that. I, I'm hoping that uh, uh, we see more of that, especially on social media and especially on things like on reels and YouTube shorts and stuff where it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be, you know, this long, drawn out, big production affair. But just a few seconds about each dog would really go a long way for the fans. And I'm sure our fans over on Twitter, especially the Ugly Dogs crew, are probably nodding their heads as we speak. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something that I hear, especially from our Musher Twitter fan base. Uh, you know, why don't we have more of this? Why can't they do more of that? And, you know, I think it's just time, Robert, that you need to start a class for mushers about social media. I think that's just what you need to do to to get everybody involved. <laughs> hey, hey, that that's that's a good idea. Let me think about that for sure. So let's let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, we've been sort of lighthearted up till this point, but we have some news about uh, one of the entrants in this year's Iditarod. Uh, we talked mm -hmm. about her and her need for to withdraw last year. If you could give us a quick update, uh, a little bit of history, and then an update about uh, who we're talking about. All right, so Jay Fouché, she is signed up for uh, this year's Iditarod. She signed up for, la well, this coming year's Iditarod. She signed up for last uh, the last Iditarod and had to withdraw just days before the race. Um, during a training run, her dogs spooked and jumped into 
the road that she was running alongside, which is a normal site in that part of Alaska near, I believe, Willow. Um, it's not uncommon to see dogs running along the highway um, in the wintertime. Um, but they spooked, they jumped out into the roadway and there just happened to be a car coming at a high rate of speed that ended up connecting with the team. Um, so several of her dogs were injured. She lost a dog. Um, it was a very, very um, sad and traumatic experience uh, for her team and for herself. Um, and so she made the correct decision to withdraw um, ahead of this year's race. And then she uh, came back up to start training this fall up in Alaska. Um, she's had some hiccups along the way getting up here. Um, and then just the weather hasn't cooperated in any or, you know, just a number of things that we see from every everybody's training and nothing goes right, um, especially at the beginning of the season. But that wasn't the only thing that was going on. She was still dealing with quite a bit of PTSD. She decided she had come back up and rented the same house as where she was living last year, last training season. So um, a lot of memories and a lot of triggers for her. And so she made the announcement today that, um, you know, it's only been, it hasn't even been a full year yet since the accident. Um, and she didn't realize just how much more she needed to process before she is um, in the right frame of mind to actually be up here training and, and running Iditarod. So she's made the decision to withdraw. You can go onto her Facebook page to read her full statement. Um, it's a very well thought out and well-written um, statement that I think is worth the read um, for anybody interested. Um, and, you know, I, I can't imagine, you know, I, I lost a very special dog um, to disease almost 10 years ago, and I still wake up some nights um, like it was yesterday. So I can't imagine being in the same location, running the same trails, um, you know, I'm sure every time she's heard a car go by, um, it triggers some very painful um, memories and thoughts. So my heart goes out to her. I was really excited to see her sign up for this race, but I am equally, if not more so, supportive of her decision to call it before she gets so invested that she didn't feel like she could. Um, I think anybody taking care of their mental health um, over sport, over work, over whatever. It's so important and it's not something that gets celebrated enough. So, um, you know, my thoughts are with Jay and I, I hope that, you know, she she continues to work. I know she's going to race other races down in the lower 48 um, and I think in Canada. So it's not like she's leaving the sport. She's just taking time to heal. Yeah, it, it's a sad situation, and and yeah, my thoughts definitely go out to her and her kennel as well. And you had mentioned at the top of that, uh, Tony, that it's not uncommon for uh, for us to see uh, dog teams along the road. In fact, uh, along one of the busiest roads here in the Matsu Valley, the uh, Knick Goose Bay uh, Road, mm -hmm. is uh, designated as the Joe Reddington Memorial Trail or something like that. Uh, and yep. it, it's right there by Iditarod headquarters, and you'll find a lot of uh, folks running up and down the road there. And it's very common to see 
uh, dog teams run along the roads here in Willow. Mm. And you had mentioned Jay and where she lived up here in Willow. And if you recall, a few years ago, I, I guess maybe seven, eight, maybe nine years ago now, another I did Iditarod musher had a very uh, tragic accident along the park's highway as well. Karen Hendrickson was hit mm-hmm. by, by a car uh, doing pretty much the same thing as Jay, and she hurt her back pretty bad and was out of mushing for mm-hmm. for a while. So this is, uh, it's not common, but it's not as uncommon as you would think, especially in the winter where visibility is is low and, you know, icy roads and big snowbanks and all of that. It's not uncommon where these accidents can occur, not as often with cars as there is with snow machines and things like that, but it's dangerous to run along the highway. But for a lot of mushers, that's their trail access. I mean, they have to run along the roads Mm -hmm. to get to the trails, especially up here in Willow. And boy, I'm glad that I don't have to run that way, but I can see how a lot of folks would. Yeah. And you know, it's, uh, it's not always, you know, because the team was in the road. In fact, Karin's experience, it was someone who took a corner too sharp on an icy night and uh, it went careening off of the, the road and hit her. Um, I don't believe any of her dogs were injured, but she was severely injured. So um, it's, it's a hazard no matter what you're doing alongside the road in the wintertime in Alaska. It can be a pretty... Uh, dangerous situation at the the most random of times but I personally selfishly every once in a while uh, I'll be driving up uh, through Sterling and past Sterling in the winter time and you can see one of team CV's dog teams running along the highway for a little bit so um, even when they do have access to um, trails without going near the road I think it's just you know a change of scenery and um, you know making sure distractions and weird noises don't affect the team as well so there are reasons to do it um, I don't think you know we need to make rules that they have to stay so far away from the highway but it's it's you know just like we say give moose a break give dog teams a break and and definitely be aware of, of what's on the side of the road for sure. So, Tony, before we run out of time, I know that the uh, yeah. folk, folks at our radio station are very hard on time. We cannot end the show without talking about <laughs> this year's Iditarod uh, graphic logo, whatever it's called. It sure has caused a lot of hubbub on social media. I know uh, a friend of ours, um, Ari, yeah. who is a graphic designer, has made her case known (laughs) saying that she will donate her time to fix the logo so we have about (laughs) we have about five minutes left can you give us a rundown uh and sort of set up the visualization as best as you can and then figure out what the heck is going on with the uh with the the deep pockets if you will (laughs) of iditarod and their media budget yeah you know that last one i have no idea what they're thinking um at first glance, this logo to me reminded me very much of some of the logos we saw in the 90s. I swear it looks very similar to one of a t-shirt that I have from like 1991. That isn't my t-shirt, but I inherited it. And um, it's um, it's all over the place. You've got several different fonts. Um, I think the biggest thing that Ari had a hard time with at first was the fact that it's a profile of a sled dog but the eyes don't match where the nose is looking. 
Um, and then there is a dog team underneath the dog profile um, that's kind of wonky. And what my biggest question was, and I didn't really like Iditarod's answer, was um, the bib number of the musher is number 32. And so I asked what the significance was, and they said, oh, there's no significance. It was a randomly generated number. And I'm like, well, why didn't you just do 23 for, you know, 2023 or do 51 for the 51st running of the race? Uh, a lot of other fans were asking them to put 13 there in honor of Lance, who just passed away this fall, um, which I, I think is a nice tribute. But, you know, I, I can understand why not picking a certain musher's bib. It's not like it was always his bib number, that sort of thing. But it is a significant number for the Mackey family. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's bright colors. I think it's red and yellow are the main colors. Um Alaska's Iditarod is what the logo says, which I'm not sure has ever been one of the ways that they've done it. Normally it's the Iditarod or the Iditarod Trail or that sort of thing. So it's just a lot. It's, it's busy. There's a lot and there's a lot of opinions on it going on in the discussion underneath the, the announcement of the logo on Iditarod's Facebook page. And I'm not sure they were expecting so many um, very, very passionate feelings. Yeah, I was one of the first few people to comment on that, both Ari and I, when they released it. And, and I said, all I said was, boy, this is a mess. And she jumped on and said, yep, this is the problem. <laughs> and, you know, she's she's definitely yep. much more of a, of a graphic artist than I am. But I noticed how that how the the dog was was definitely out of perspective, especially the nose and the eyes. It looked like mm -hmm. the dog was looking one way and the nose was going another. I don't know if it was just poor art or the the guy or gal didn't know what they were doing. But of course, I got the the immediate uh, Facebook <laughs> lashing and says, "Well, why aren't I doing it? And you know, can I do better? And and all of that." And if and I just ignored it. But our friend Ari answered the call to that and, and said that she would be happy to fix it. And she yep. contacted the, the folks that did it and she contacted Iditarod. But it sounds like that you got a response back, at least on a comment or something, from Iditarod. Mm -hmm. what are, what's their general response to this mess? You know, I was really surprised they only... Uh, I think commented on a couple of people's comments, mine being one. Um, but for the most part, they've stayed out of it, which I can kind of understand. Um, it, you know, it's it's better to just let the fans have their moment of frustration. And it could be that, you know, at this point, they've already started printing merchandise. So there's nothing they can do, even if they wanted to. Um, but I would hope that they would look into some of Ari's suggestions, even if they don't want to use her. Um, you know, she's given a list, I think, on one of her comments or posts about how there are many um, Alaskan born and raised graphic artists that could have done the job. Um, and then she also suggested maybe it's time to have a native Alaskan do the logo, which I have kind of wanted to see for a while as well. And I was just, it was just nice to see somebody else voice that. But I think something in, in more of a native pattern would be really special, um, especially when you go into the history. And that's what 
Joe Reddington was really focused on when he started this race was to continue that tradition that was started by the uh, the Native Alaskans. Yeah, I have a little bit of experience with this myself. Uh, last year or so, at least during COVID, my wife and I started up a coffee company called First Paw Coffee, and mm-hmm. we hired a, a local graphics guy, a really good uh, graphics guy who's done a lot of work <laughs> with a lot of corporations, inclu- including a lot of the news corporations, et cetera. And it was a process. I mean, not only did we go in mm-hmm. for, for for several in-person meetings, but we went back and forth on the graphics. Does this look right? Does not? Uh, do I need to change something? It went back and forth, back and forth for a couple of months. And I say that because it looks like this graphic uh, was not uh, approved in any sort of way. If it was, the person that approved it didn't know what they were approving. And secondly, it's not cheap. For our logos, for mm-hmm. our labels, we paid, I believe, $1,800 just for the graphic itself. And we have mm-hmm. five or six brands, so you know, several thousand dollars um, of, of logo design just for our packaging. And of course, uh, there are people that said that they may or may not like it. But the point is, is it took a long time. It was a process, mm-hmm. you know, and it could not move forward unless everybody was on board. What the heck is going on? Do you think it's just one guy or gal that's, that's, you know, hitting the yes button on stuff like this? Or do you think that there's some type of committee or, or a group of people that makes these decisions? <laughs> You know, I know that there are committees for other parts of Iditarod's decision-making, so I want to hope that there's a committee for that. It could be that it's not considered important enough to really fight over and nitpick. Um, I I know that I'm, I think I'm in the minority. I liked last year's logo, but I was thankful to see that they weren't, because the way that Rob introduced it, it almost sounded like that was going to be the new logo forever. Um, and not just for last year. And so I'm, I'm thankful for that. But um, I don't know. It, I, almost, I almost got snarky, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for being snarky here. But um, I almost wonder, was the graphic designer, if you can even call them that? I don't know what their, what their title is in their mind. But um, I wonder if they're friends with someone. <laughs> And they gave like a super sweet deal or, or what it was. Cause um, you know, it, I, I thought when I first looked at it, I didn't really pay that much attention. So I honestly, even as a creative person myself did not notice the, the mistakes. Um, but it just, the first, like I said, the first reaction I had was this feels like we're doing a throwback throwback. Like this is a retro type of logo. Um, it's not my favorite type of design. I, I don't like the mismatch. I would prefer just like the ITC logo with the year. I'm one of those people, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. It actually reminds me of some of the, the old advertisements for Gary King sporting goods. If you're, if you're an Alaskan and you're, you're listening to this, you might remember that from the eighties and nineties, but um, yeah, it, it, the more I look at it, the more I see what everyone else is seeing. And now I can't unsee it. So I, I don't know what to think. You know, Tony, uh, my wife, Michelle, who is the host of our other podcast, Dog Works Radio, <laughs> is listening in. And she wrote a note before you said what you thought. And she said, 
Yep, I think it was a friend of a friend or a kid of somebody uh, that was yep. given a favor to do this. So at least two people uh, are thinking the same thing <laughs> as you. And my last point on this is one of my favorite things to do during Iditarod is every year Alaska Alaskan Brewing Company uh, does a pint glass mm-hmm. with this with the logo for that year, and I'm looking up yep. at at all of them right now. I probably have ten or twelve of them every year since I moved to Alaska. I always buy one, and of course, some of the logos are much better than others. Uh, a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, the 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 one with just the dog's head is my favorite. It was kind of a mm-hmm. you know an abstract looking one. That's by far my favorite. Yep. But with this one, I don't think I'll be buying the glass. What about you? Um, well, I don't have much room for merchandise <laughs> anymore. <laughs> I moved into a house and I've already filled it with Iditarod stuff. That's how much Iditarod stuff I have. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I I like getting them for free at the different events. If, if I don't get it for free, I typically don't get the glass. I think you can normally get it for free or at a discounted price at Gwenny's. So, um, but yeah, no, you, honestly, I haven't been happy with the merchandise uh, for a couple of years since they went to the new company. Um, because I think I've said this before on the podcast, uh, they, the, they've outpriced themselves for me. Um, it's, it's, to the point where I just get the free stuff that they give to all the volunteers. And that's what I have to be happy with because I can't afford a t-shirt that's 40 bucks. I can't afford, you know, especially one, like you said, with a logo that isn't all that great. What am I going to do with all of these t-shirts? You know, when it was 10 bucks for a volunteer t-shirt, sure. But when you're asking me to buy this stuff, make it affordable. Um, you know, you're, you've outpriced your fan base and, and I'm not the only one saying that. So I'm not afraid to say that I'll, I'll speak for the masses. Well, I lied. I do have one final statement on this, uh, Tony, (laughs) you know, when they have the super bowl or, or whatever, the world series, they always Mm -hmm. print up, uh, t-shirts and hats for both teams because obviously they don't know who's going to win. And you will Mm -hmm. often find that the, the organizations send off the the losing team to um you know folks that are in need of of these types mm-hmm. of, of deals in you know third world countries per se and you'll see them on tv and they'll say you know the world champion uh packers and you know it was the 49ers mm-hmm. that won or, or the broncos i guess the 49ers <laughs> and the packers cannot play but uh, the broncos playing right. the 49ers or whatever but you will see right. on tv that the world champion of the losing team will be worn by mm-hmm. some of these folks i think that these shirts should end up in uh, in these countries that's already <laughs> been printed what do you think that's a hot take, a hot take as they're michelle said they're already dealing I think they're already dealing with enough. Why would you, you know, force them to wear something like that? I mean, why would you, why, why, why would you make them wear a Broncos t-shirt either? I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me, but, but yeah, no, it, it, yeah, I, I think it's time to go back to the drawing board and maybe go back to uh, who you guys were using 10, 15 years ago or shoot, just take and ask John Van Zyl to not just do a poster, but do a t-shirt. I'd buy it. That one I might pay $40 for because at least it's a work of art. 
Yeah. Yep. Uh, if, if it's just a print, uh, you know, those uh, stick on whatever they're called where, you know, you, you, <laughs> yeah. get them, you get them on the boardwalk where they do that print of, uh, right. of, of whatever yep. you're doing because uh, it's not a screen print. I know what you're talking about. So, folks that are listening, what is your take on this year's logo? We would love to hear about it on social media. You can find us at First Paul Media. You can find me at Robert Forto. Tony, how do they find you if they want to uh, do a gripe about what you say or their <laughs> thoughts on this logo? Hey, they can always tweet at me. I'm at Tony Shell AK on Twitter. Um, I'm at Tony Shell on Instagram. And then there's always my blog, writersblock.com. There you have it, guys. So that is our episode for today. We did go over a few minutes over. So if you're listening <laughs> on the radio and you missed the last part, you can find all of our episodes over on dogworksradio.com. Or just search for Mushing Radio on any podcast app, and this will pull up. Tony, it's a pleasure. We'll talk again in a couple of weeks, all right? Sounds good, Robert. All right. On behalf of my co-host, this is Robert for Mushing Radio. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye. From DogWorks Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your hosts are Alex Stein and Robert Forto. Our producer is Robert Forto, created for Dog Works Radio.